We are in the second half of Joshua 22, or rather, we kind of went through the whole chapter last week, but if you recall, we did a macro viewpoint, right? We did a big picture look at Joshua 22. We looked at, there are times where division is the right thing to do because we're dividing from untruth, that real unity comes with truth, and we defined discernment. We looked at the big picture view of what Joshua 22 presents us. And this week we're going to look at kind of the, the details of it. We're going to go through verse by verse and, and break down the nitty gritty of the macro principles that we looked at last week. And so to begin, I, I want to share a couple statements about myself. And potentially you will relate to some of these statements. Uh, the first thing that is true about me is I do not agree with every single person I know. I never have. I, there is not one person on this planet who I agree with 100% on every single thing ever. Can anyone relate to that? Or you're like, nope, I agree. No, nope, okay, some people can, that's good. If you didn't put your hand up, maybe be a little more honest with yourself. Um, I don't agree with everyone I've ever met. I don't necessarily, or I haven't necessarily gotten along with everyone I've ever met or interacted with. There have been people who have just rubbed me the wrong way. We've, we've butted heads. Uh, there have not been, or there's not been a time in my life when I can say that every single person I interact with, I am best friends with. Anybody relate to that? Yeah? Here's one that I'm sure nobody else can relate to. This is just me. There are times where I have contributed to conflict. And I, <laughs> Leroy's willing to be honest with me, yeah. I, there are times where I have contributed to conflict. I have contributed to tension. I have contributed to the fracturing of relationships and have played my fair part in that. I won't ask people to put their hands up for that, but be honest with yourselves. And there have been times when I've been insulted. I've been wronged, where I can say that I am on the wrong end of this. I'm on the receiving end of wrong. And my guess is that you can all say the same thing as well. And so a chapter like Joshua 22 is so essential for us to understand because everything that I just talked about, disagreeing with people, conflict with people, contributing to conflict, when we've been wrong, this all gets dealt with in Joshua 22. And this week, we're really going to look at just the practical means that Scripture lays out for us to handle these situations. Situations that, based on the nods I saw, you all agree you find yourselves in with some sort of regularity. And so this is a great chapter for us to internalize and know and take to heart. And we're going to build off those macro principles we looked at last week. Uh, before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches, how it rebukes, how it corrects, how it sharpens us. We thank you that your word cuts through and pierces us. And so this morning, Lord, pierce us where we most need to be cut through to. Uh, even if it's painful... I know this hasn't always been fun, prepping this week for this message, as you've used it to convict me in my own life. Um, but as we talked about with communion, conviction is a beautiful thing because it brings us the chance for repentance. And so, Lord, if necessary, convict us this morning. Teach us this morning. Encourage us this morning. God, use your word as you can and as you do to transform us to look more like Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so to recap the first 12 verses, we're going to pick up in verse 13 of 22, but to recap the first 12 verses, two and a half tribes, hey, you fulfilled your covenant, you fought with the other part of Israel, you now get to go back across the Jordan to your previously given inheritance, cool, you head over there, uh-oh, you build a big altar, is this problematic? Nine and a half tribes are like, hey, that might not be a good thing, we should deal with it. So that was super fast, but that's the first 12 verses, we've talked about them a couple times, so hopefully that was just a refresher. And I want to begin in verse 13 then. 
Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the two and a half tribes who had built this altar, in the land of Gilead. So they sent to the two and a half tribes Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, those are pretty straightforward, just matter-of-fact verses, but there are beautiful, powerful lessons in those verses. What might they be? Well, the first thing that we see is they don't ignore the potential problem. We looked at this last week, that unity requires truth. And so if there is a division from truth, for us to bury our head in the sand and pretend like that's not an issue is inappropriate. Mike and Tim are elders. They are tasked with leading this church, with shepherding this church, with holding me accountable. If I'm up here and I'm teaching heretical things that have divided from the truth, and they're like, well, we'll just pretend that he didn't say those things, that's inappropriate. And so for the tribes of Israel to see this potential problem and ignore it would have been inappropriate. So the first lesson we see is that when, they, when a potential problem arises, a division from truth arises, they don't just turn a blind eye to it, they acknowledge it. But then what do they do? What's it say? It says they sent a delegation to them. See, because they react to the situation, but they don't react rashly. They don't react immaturely. They don't react without thinking about it. They don't react without what, where did we look at last week? Discernment. Discernment, seeking to understand so that you can make a wise decision. So these nine and a half tribes see a potential problem. They react to it by sending people to go talk to them. Hey, okay, this might be an issue, but before we fully decide on our behavior, let's make sure we understand. Go talk to them. And it's that last element, too, that I really want to emphasize. What did they do? They went directly to the possible offending party. They went directly to the people who were potentially the source of this problem. Consider Matthew 18, 15 through 16. This is Jesus speaking. I mean, all of Scripture is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus verbally speaking to a group of people. Matthew 18, 15 through 16. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 2 Thessalonians 3.15, the context of 2 Thessalonians is he's writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica and he's talking about in this section a fellow believer who is not abiding in the truth. So this is a fellow believer who has divided himself from the truth. And he says, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. In order to do so, that implies that you have to go to this person and have a conversation with them. Titus 3.10 is for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. We can look at that verse and say this is just about giving me an excuse to be done with someone. But really I look at that verse and I see the emphasis is on before you divide from a brother, go to him. Warn him once. Warn him twice. Give him opportunities. Confront him directly. Have a personal conversation. And so I love that the nine and a half tribes in Joshua 22, their reaction to this potential problem is, okay, if that's for real, that's a serious issue that we need to deal with. But before we make a rash judgment, before we just snap off our reaction to it, let's actually go to them. Let's actually sit down with them and talk to them and lay this out so that we can truly make a discerning decision as to how to respond to this. And then you see it throughout the New Testament. 
You see this lesson over and over again in church. Christians, believers, what we have to take away from this is that if I potentially have a problem with someone, if you potentially have a problem with someone, if there's a potential conflict area, you need to go to that person. You don't need to go to your spouse. I mean, talk to your spouse. Get wisdom from your spouse. But if you come to me and you say, hey, I have an issue with Mike, my immediate question is going to be, okay, how did Mike respond when you talked to him about this? Well, I didn't talk to Mike about it. Okay, well then hang up with me and call Mike or walk out of my office and go talk to Mike. You need to go to the area of potential conflict. You need to deal with it. You need to go to the individual, go to the people. Jesus gives this lesson. The Old Testament gives this lesson. Paul reminds the church of this lesson. That if we are unwilling to go to the person who is the potential source of conflict of the problem, we are skipping a vital step to this and it's inappropriate on our part. Sam, that's hard. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and say that's super, right? Like, I think Mike insulted me. Mike, can we do coffee, man? We need to talk. That's hard. I've said this before. I'll say it again. If all you're looking for is easy, you pick the wrong path with Jesus and the cross. Jesus doesn't call us to easy. Jesus calls us to true. And the truth is, when there is a potential problem, you need to go to the source. This is what the tribes of Israel demonstrate for us beautifully, and it's great. And then you jump ahead to the next step. Because when they go, they also go with a proper heart. Listen to verses 16 through 19. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Seven times in those verses, the delegation emphasizes that the problem here is an abandonment of holiness. The concern of these tribes is not, hey, I mean, yeah, they mention the reality that they'll be affected by it, but seven times they point out that, look, this is an issue because it really seems like you have broken with the holiness of God, that you have rebelled against the Lord, that you have broken fellowship with the Lord, that you are in sin against the Lord. Their concern is for the holiness of their brothers and sisters. It's a beautiful heart. It's not self-driven. It's not self-seeking. It's, no, please don't do this. Please don't abandon the Lord. Please don't reject the Lord. That's serious. There are consequences to that. And so because their heart is in the appropriate place of being concerned about a potential rebellion against the Lord, what is their proposed solution? What is their desired outcome? It's a reconciliation of holiness. Their desired outcome is a reconciliation, a restoration, or making sure, rather, that the fellowship with the Lord is where it needs to be. Listen to verse 19 again. So 16 and 18. What is this breach of faith that you've committed against the God of Israel, turning away from following the Lord, if you rebel against the Lord? And then verse 19, they show their proposed solution. 
pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands. They're saying, don't break from God's holiness, stay with it. See, if they had the inappropriate attitude, then the proposed solution might have been like, look, you're in sin, you're breaking with the holiness of God, so just make sure he knows you're not associated with us. Right? Like, I'm just trying to save my own skin here. Like, you can continue in your sin. I don't care about that. You can continue in your sin if you want. Just make sure I don't get hit with your punishment. That's not what they say. They say, hey, we're concerned that you're possibly breaking away from the holiness of the Lord. Don't let that be the case. Be restored. And once again, we see this throughout Scripture. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. James 5.19-20, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, brings him back to the truth, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You go back to Matthew 18. We read verses 15 and 16. The full progression of that passage, verses 15, 16, and 17, it says, if a brother sins against you, go and talk to him. If he, if he listens, if he repents, you've gained a brother. If not, if he remains persistent in his unrepentant sin, bring along a couple witnesses. Okay, now they still remain persistent in their unrepentant sin. Now bring in the whole church. Okay, they still remain persistent in their unrepentant sin. They're breaking from holiness. Regard, Jesus says, regard them as a Gentile and a tax collector. Quick quiz. What was one of the most common insults the Pharisees levied against Jesus? Oh, that guy's a friend of Gentiles and tax collectors. Don't take Jesus seriously. He listens to the, he, he hangs out with the tax collectors. Jesus isn't saying, write the person out of your life. Jesus is saying your perspective on them switches. They remain persistent in their unrepentant sin. Don't wash your hands and be done of them. Jesus doesn't say reject them, ignore them as a person, treat them unlovingly. He says, no, your perspective on them changes. They are now no longer a co-laborer for my kingdom. They are now an evangelistic prospect. Jesus says he came to be friends with the tax collectors. He came to reach the Gentiles. So Jesus is saying, look, if you go to them and you try and pursue reconciliation, you try and pursue restoration, and they want nothing to do with it, you don't say... Cool. Mike, deleted from my phone, blocked online, I'm done with you. Mike doesn't say, hey, Sam, you broke from truth, you taught heresy, I'm going to pretend like you don't exist. I'm going to slander you. I'm going to talk bad about it. No, Mike says, okay, now I have a chance to witness to Sam. Now I have a chance to pursue Sam's reconciliation with God. This is what Jesus lays out in Matthew 18. It's what's laid out in Galatians, what's laid out in James. It's what's demonstrated here in Joshua 22. Our concern, if we are truly witnessing someone who has broken from the holiness of God, our concern must be for their restoration of right standing with the Lord. It's why Jesus came to reconcile sinners to God. Jesus' mission was one of reconciliation. Ours must be the same. The people in Joshua demonstrate this so beautifully. It's incredible that they look at a potential problem and their concern is for the holiness of their brothers and sisters, of their friends. Church, I got to be honest. We got to learn how to look at the world with those eyes. We got to stop 
And I'm talking about big C, big picture church. If any of you, if I've been guilty of this, that's between us and God. I don't know every conversation you've ever had. You don't know every conversation. But we have got to stop saying things like, yeah, they'll get theirs. They'll get there. They'll learn. Because you know what? They will. And that should devastate us. We should be so uncomfortable with the thought of people we know going to hell that it breaks our heart. <laughs> Just you, you'll be sorry when Jesus comes back. Yeah, they will, and that should grieve us. We need to pursue their reconciliation to Jesus. This is what the tribes demonstrate in Joshua. I love it. I love the example they give us in Joshua 22 of, you are breaking possibly from the holiness of God. Please don't do that. Please, we want you right with the Lord. This is our heart. And how, I mean, why do we say so confidently? Because don't miss this detail in 19. In verse 12, we looked at it. In verse 12, it says, When they saw the altar that the two and a half tribes had built, they armed themselves for war. So they are prepared to divide over an abandonment of holiness, over a rejection of truth. They're prepared to divide over this. What are they also prepared to do? Let me reread a middle phrase. Verse 19 is long. It's like four lines. So you might miss this middle phrase in verse 19, but listen to it. It says, they says, look, now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands. Be restored to God's holiness. But then what do they say? Take for yourselves a possession among us. They are prepared to make personal sacrifice to prevent their countrymen from breaking fellowship with God's holiness. They're saying, what's the problem? Is the problem that you are too far removed from the tabernacle of the Lord? Okay, then I will willingly give up my own inheritance so that you don't have to have this problem. I will make a personal sacrifice in my life to remove this problem from yours. Man, you talk about not just desiring peace, but pursuing it. Because it's easy to say, I want peace. It's easy for me, Sam, to say, I want the lost to come to Christ. You know, Sam, you're talking about desiring a restoration of holiness. Absolutely, man, I'm right there with you. And I'm standing up here, I'm like, yeah, I want people restored to Jesus. Okay, what am I prepared to do about it? What am I prepared to sacrifice in my own life to pursue that? I mean, verse 19 demonstrates that the people of Israel, this was their inheritance. This was their rightful inheritance. It's not like they were giving up something that wasn't theirs. This was theirs. They had every right to it and to the entirety of it. And they say, no, we are willing. We are ready. We are prepared to sacrifice our own rights so that you can make sure you're restored to the holiness of God, so that you can make sure that you are not broken from the fellowship of God. They demonstrate a willingness to sacrifice in the name of maintaining holiness. I love it. Rome, and I'm also deeply convicted by it. Romans 12, 16 to 18. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, listen to this phrase, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Live peaceably with all. Yeah, but you don't understand what... doesn't matter what they did. You don't understand what they said. doesn't matter what they said. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with them. Yeah, but 
You ready for this one? You don't understand how they voted. Doesn't matter. Live at peace with them. You don't understand what sports team they cheer for. You don't understand what neighborhood they're from. You don't understand what income bracket. Doesn't matter. Live at peace with them. So far as it depends on you. Don't just desire peace. Pursue it. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Some translations add strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. You want to fulfill that law? Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2 immediately follows Galatians 6, 1. That's how numbers work. 2 follows 1. So verse 2 is in light of the context of verse 1. What was verse 1 that we just read a moment ago? Brothers, if any of you is caught in sin, let those who are righteous restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So this context of bear one another's burden is directly connected to a brother who is caught in sin. A fellow believer who is caught in sin, that is a burden in their life. You who are righteous are called to bear that burden and pursue their restoration. This is the law of Christ. It's active. It's not passive. It's not sit back and wait. It's not, well, I just, I'm going to send good thoughts their way. It's not, I'm going to actively pursue their restoration. I'm prepared to make sacrifices for this. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the Spirit of unity and the bond of peace. The nine and a half tribes who send this delegation give us an absolutely incredible example of how to respond to a potential problem within the family of Christ. I mean, it is so humbling to read their example in these verses. And then you come to the response of the two and a half tribes, and it's equally beautiful. It's, it's awesome how they respond. We won't read all the verses, but we're gonna, I'm going to start. So this is verse 21. Then the people, the ones who have been accused, remember when earlier I said, have you ever been insulted? Have you ever been wronged? Have you ever Because what really just happened is, as we'll see, these people didn't do anything wrong. But someone came to them and said, hey, the perception is that you did. So think of your own life when someone is coming to you and maybe accuse you, right? You're the victim here. You have been accused of doing something that you did not do or assumptions have been made about you that are not true. Right? Listen to how they respond. Then the people said, The mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. If we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, may the Lord himself take vengeance. They don't get all defensive. Their first, their immediate reaction is not, how dare you? Who do, you, who do you think you are to come to me and say that my behavior is potentially problematic? Get out. That's not their response. Their response is, whoa, you're right, that's serious. The holiness of the Lord is not something to be taken lightly. You, you are, Mike, for coming to me, brother, if you're right about this, then I deserve God's judgment. That's a big deal. They remove their ego. They, they acknowledge that what Mike's concern is, they acknowledge that this concern of the other nine and a half tribes is something very real that should be dealt with. And they also acknowledge God's sovereignty in the whole situation. They're like, look, let God know and let you all know. And then they go on to explain and they say, 
No, we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us, and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifices, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. We thought if the time should be said to us or our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice other than the altar of our Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. They don't blow up in anger. They accept this possible accountability because they recognize the seriousness, the gravity of this. I mean, consider what Scripture says. Ecclesiastes 7.9, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. They accept this confrontation. They accept this conversation. I mean, that's a heart of gentleness. That's unbelievably humble. To accept accusations that are not true and say, look, if those were true, you are absolutely right in your concern. We submit to that. What do they say? They say, if you're right, God, don't spare us. You know, here's, here's our follow-up, though. Here's what our thought was. And I even love that aspect. Anybody heard the phrase before? I don't have to justify myself to you. I don't have to explain myself to you. I know what I'm doing. I don't, you, I don't have to explain myself to you. This isn't how the people respond. They're like, whoa, that is a serious accusation. That's a big problem. Hey, let's, let's walk through this. You know, let me show you our perspective. Let us show you our perspective. Let it, let's explain this so you can see where our heart is. I mean, the nine and a half tribes go with a heart of gentleness, desiring restoration and reconciliation because they're concerned about the holiness of God. The two and a half tribes receive them with a heart of gentleness because their concern is also the holiness of God. It's, it's incredible what we see in Joshua 22. And then they go on and they give the details for their motivation behind this. And I love their forethought and their foresight here. Because they're not only concerned about the holiness of that generation, but they're concerned about the holiness of future generations. They're saying, look, we know where we worship. We know who we worship. We know how we're to work. We know truth. And we are grateful for it. And we want to make sure that future generations aren't divided from it. They're looking forward. I think so many times in my own life, I get guilty of a myopic view where it's all about me in this present day and age. And I'm thinking about, okay, what does Community Bible Church need right now? Right now in this moment. And don't get me wrong, that's a good question. Right? One of my responsibilities is to think about what does Community Bible Church need in this moment? It's what the elders and I talk about. 
but I need to be aware that I also need to be thinking about, okay, what does Community Bible Church need 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Say Jesus doesn't come back in 2022. Say Jesus doesn't come back until the 2400s. What are we doing now today to set up Community Bible Church for 10 years from now, for 30 years from now, from 50 years from now? Within our own families, parents, yeah, that's awesome that you are, hopefully, should be, pursuing the righteousness of your children today. What are you doing to set up the righteousness of their children and their children's children? What are you doing to invest in the future generations of the church? What are we doing as believers to invest in the American Evangelical Church of 2037 and 2058? Because these tribes, these two and a half tribes, recognize that, okay, today is important, but so is tomorrow. And they're looking forward. And they're taking concrete physical action today to protect the holiness of tomorrow. And I love it. I love this demonstration, this example of a heart that is concerned with the now, but also concerned with the not yet. And so we just, we, we need to be a church like that, where we're investing in today, we're investing in, in the holiness, the fellowship with God today, but we're also seeking to set up the future generations. You know, one of my favorite elements of the men's Bible study is this time around, and these guys don't know I'm going to say this, I'm not, I'm not going to say them by name, so it's not about them, they're doing great, but I love that we have dads bringing their teenage sons to the men's Bible study. I, I love it. And they, they were like, hey, you know, my kid's 13, my kid's 14. Is it cool if we... Because there's a degree to which we're not going to bring like a seven-year-old to a men's Bible study, right? Because we want to be able to engage in the conversation. But we've got dads who are concerned with, all right, I've got a teenage son. I want him to know discipleship. I want him to be engaged with the church. I'm going to bring him along with me. And what's been really, really cool is these kids are joining in the conversation. I mean, we're going from, right, I ask a question, okay, what do people think about this? And we're jumping from a 52-year-old guy to a 13-year-old. And as the 52-year-old is speaking, the, the teens are going, oh, yeah, that's a good point. And as the teens are speaking, the 52-year-old is going, oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's Joshua 22. That's two and a half tribes saying, hey, we're concerned about our holiness, but we're also concerned about the holiness of the future. I love it. I mean, Joshua 22 presents a lesson for us. And we've got families in this church who are taking that lesson seriously. That's a good thing. That's one of the reasons I'm excited about this church, this body of believers. It's one of the reasons we need to know Joshua 22, because it's laid out for us. And it's great. And so the two and a half tribes, they present their explanation. They say, this is our heart. You're right. The holiness of God is a serious issue that must be guarded. We get that. We are in line with that. Here's our desire in building an altar so that we can preserve that holiness of God. And they lay this out, and it's great. And then the conclusion to this story is also, and I've used this word, I don't know how many times, but the conclusion of this story is great. Because the people then respond, the original nine and a half tribes respond, look at their response. 
This is verse 30. When Phineas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families, everybody who's with them, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phineas the son said, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Then, verse 32, Then the delegation returns to the large body who sent them and brought back word to them. Verse 33, And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land. It's fantastic. The delegation gets the report and there's no, well... We don't trust you. We're going to stay here and we're going to keep an eye on you just to make sure it's, oh, okay. I get that. I respect that. That makes us joyful. They rejoice that fellowship has not been broken. So then they go back to the people and they say, hey, this is the report. Fellowship, holiness has not been broken, has not been sinned against. And the people rejoice. The people don't say, well, we weren't there. We need to go here for ourselves. Well, I'm not going to take your word on it. Prove it. No, they say, you're the leadership. We trusted you to do this. You came back. We'll take your word. We'll trust you, and we'll rejoice in the celebration of unity. It's glorious. The reaction of praise to God's holiness being honored and kept. Our response to all good things must be a recognition that it's because of God and a praise and celebration of who he is. Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There is a potential problem, a breaking of holiness, an abandonment of truth. So rather than stay over here and make passive-aggressive comments and stew and mutter, I wonder what they're really up to. Oh, hey, you know what? What if we actually went and talked to them? Hey, this is the problem. This is what we see. How dare you? You don't know me. You don't have a right to say that. Now I'm going to stew and make passive-aggressive comments about you. Right? I'm going to send out a message. Gee, I hate it when the people I just fought alongside don't take me seriously. Oh, no, I wasn't talking about you. I was just talking about some vague general. No, right? There's no passive-aggressive here. There's, whoa, you're right. That's serious. God's holiness needs to be preserved. Hey, here's our heart for it. Oh, that's fantastic. Let's move forward in unity. I mean, Joshua 22 is just, it's, it's awesome start to finish. And if the church would learn how to do this, how to apply every aspect of this, that would be such a rich and powerful thing. I want to read James, James chapter 3. Really just talks about this in summary. James 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Every one of those words describes this interaction between the people of Israel. The nine and the half tribes, hey, we desire truth, so we will pursue peace, peaceable. We will approach you with gentleness, open to reason. We will allow you to respond and listen. We will respect you, full of mercy. The people who were accused could have gotten angry, and instead they said, no, 
We appreciate you coming to us. Here's the truth. They were open to reason. They were merciful. They were gentle. And so then what happens at the end where it says, and the people rejoiced that God had not been sinned against. James 3.18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This was not accidental peace. There was deliberate behavior on everyone involved in this that pursued the heart of the Lord. It's not a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who sit back and hope that peace finds them along the way. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. At the start, we all said we've been sinned against. We've been insulted. We've been on the wrong end. We all admitted that we've been on the contributing end. We've given our fair share to conflicts. We've given our fair share to fracturing relationships. Joshua 22 deals with all of this in a wonderful, wonderful way. So for this week, I've been giving you guys a lot of chapters, five chapters, seven chapters. This week, we're only three chapters. Three chapters to read this week. 2 Corinthians 12, Galatians 5, James 3. Read the whole chapters, but within the chapters at different points, you'll notice lists of adjectives describing behaviors of response towards one another. And so I put them up there, 2 Corinthians 12, 20, Galatians 5, 19 to 21, 22 to 23, James 3, 14, 16, 17. Those verses especially, I want you to write out two columns of the adjectives in those verses. You'll notice which words get grouped together and which ones, you know, are in the other list. There's a set of good adjectives and bad adjectives. And then I want us to ask ourselves a very hard question. Which list more closely resembles how I respond to disagreement. When someone disagrees with me, when someone is in conflict, when I'm in conflict with someone else, which list more aptly describes my behavior? And we're going to let the Holy Spirit run with that one. But we need to be honest when we look at those lists. And then the prayer ideas are simple. Lord, teach me how to respond to conflict, to disagreement, to the tough situations. Teach me how to respond in all things, especially the hard ones, in a way that brings you glory. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll go have our week, and we'll seek to be people who make peace, who point to Jesus. But please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you love us. We thank you that you reconciled us as enemies to you through Jesus. The forgiveness, the mercy, the grace that you pour out on us. And Lord, those mercies are new every day and we need them every day. And so we praise you for who you are. And Lord, in this process that you're working in all our lives as you make us holier, as you make us more like Jesus, may this be a part of it. Lord, may we be people who every day wake up with new mercy to show the world, to pursue peace. May we be prepared to make sacrifices, to guard your holiness and our friends, our families, fellowship with you within this body. Teach us how to bear one another's burdens with gentleness, with love, with a desire of reconciliation to your holiness in our own lives. Teach us to be these people.
Thank you for the example that we get in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday. everyone. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.